Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange. This is our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Ryan Keeling and I'm the editor at Resident Advisor. This week on The Exchange, Matt Unicombe is speaking with the German artist Butch. Matt describes Butch as a master of big breakdowns in his written introduction and it's difficult to argue with that statement. Butch's music feels tailored to creating massive, memorable moments in the club and at festivals. And he's found fans in DJs like Sven Veith, Mercado Villalobos and Seth Troxler. As you'll hear later in this exchange, Butch had something of a troubled upbringing and he spent some time on the wrong side of the law. So he explains how he turned things around and got himself on the path to where he is today. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges on residentadvisor.net and find us on SoundCloud at RA-Exchange. The Exchange with Butch is up next. this interview we were chatting about what you were doing before you became a full-time DJ a travesty artist and one of the you worked at Burger King yes I worked at Burger King and all sets jobs like this but I got fired very quick all of them what did you do wrong I was too slow and dreaming too much and like when you go to a restaurant or somewhere and there's always somebody working very slow and you hate him I was always this guy That's why I got fired so many times. Did customers complain about you? Uh, Can you remember any complaints? Not even the customers. All the other workers was complaining about me because I was slowing everything down. It's hard when everybody hates you, all the workers. (laughs) While you were working these jobs, you already had an interest in music. Yeah, always. My interest came when I was 12. Um, I was watching TV and there was a TV show called uh, Biolex Bahnhof. And they, they invited DJ David, and DJ David was the DMC world champion twice. He came from Germany. And I saw first time somebody manipulating records, vinyls, with his hands and his feet. I was like, wow, this is amazing. I want to do the same. And there my interest started for DJing. It was something about manipulating the music that seemed interesting to you. Yeah, like for example, if you play a guitar or something or or piano, it just goes forwards, you know, and it's just one instrument. But when when you have a vinyl and there's a recording of a song, you can manipulate the whole thing, you know, the whole song with just one movement, with with your finger. I was like, okay, this is uh, crazy. 
and it's even easier to play other people's music instead of making your own. <laughs> I wanted to do just the same like what he did. So what, when was this? The 1990s? In yeah, Germany? 1992. So if you're a German teenager back then, how do you get turntables? <laughs> yeah, I was not a regular kid. I was the guy who... Um, yeah, I'm not proud of it, I have to say. It. I, I've changed. I was the guy who um, <laughs> who would maybe beat, beat you or something like this. And I was not a good guy. Yeah, I was a problem child. I was doing a lot of bad stuff. And I found ways to find stuff or make money to get the turntables. <laughs> and it was against the law, I guess, how I made it. So where did you get the turntables from? Did everyone buy them brand new back then? You... <laughs> yeah, okay, one of them was a used one. It was on a stage of a, um, of a... It wasn't a festival, it was something in the city. I don't remember what it was. At that time there was only turntables to play um, DJ sets. And so they built up two turntables and a mixer. And a friend of mine, we just went there. <laughs> He's a rapper right now. We just took the turntables at daytime in front of all the people and just went away. <laughs> I gave uh, my friend one turntable and I, I kept the other one. And the second turntable I made, uh, I bought it with money I made from, I don't know, selling stuff. <laughs> Bad things. Bad things, or right now maybe stuff you can use to enjoy yourself or whatever. Yeah. So once you got those turntables, were you hooked? I mean, I, I got the real turntables and techniques when I was 18. But before I had um, other turntables from the flu market or from the from the trash outside the doors. I was practicing with them, but there was no chance to um, learn properly to DJ. But when I was 18, I had a proper had a proper setup. So it was the first move into uh, professional DJing. So where did you get records from? Was there a shop in Mainz? No, there was no shop in Mainz. I was going to Frankfurt to Pro Vinyl. Yeah. I guess back at that time, everybody was buying the vinyls at um, Freebase. Freebase, Freebase, I guess, had just started. And Freebase was pretty young back then. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. There was a, a, another record store around um, Pro Vinyl. I guess that was um, Freebase. I, I'm not sure, but they had a lot of uh, techno records. And uh, at that time, I was not really into techno. So I was going to Pro Vinyl. And at Pro Vinyl, they had... Uh, very different stuff. They had jazz, they had uh, records to scratch, so DJ tools. They had some rap stuff, also techno and minimal, but um, a bit different, I guess. And you would go home and start beat matching with these. Would you be DJing for a, you, you were practicing a lot? Yeah, first thing I was trying to do was beat matching. And um, I was practicing beat matching like for a while. And, but I learned it very quick, so there was not no need to learn beat matching a lot. And also, I didn't have ma many records because records was very expensive. You know, even I was a bad boy, I was not making enough money to buy records. So if you don't play and buy records, as a um, regular person, it's very hard. You know, I was going also to school. There wasn't much money, so my idea was to become a um, turntablist. Yeah. But you don't need many records, but you need a lot of practicing. Yeah, I was practicing sometimes eight hours a day to become a great turntablist, to show my skills at the DJ championships, to win some titles, and afterwards go, to go to the clubs and say, hey, 
I am the, I'm a champion, please let me play here. Also, I was sending before mixtapes, but it was nearly impossible. If you don't know anybody who knows somebody, they will not um, give you um, a slot, you know. Yeah, everyone's still just booking their friends. Yeah. yeah. Even if you make an amazing DJ mix, it's like, no. It's... I had the first hip-hop DJ mix around with um, 98 tracks. Yeah, this was something really new back then. And also I won, there was a DJ show at Jam FM, Berlin uh, Black Music Radio Show. I won the title of the Mix of the Month twice back then, but still there was no reason to get booked. And if you look at me, I don't really look German, you know, this because of my Turkish roots. And back then as a Turkish guy, it was almost impossible to get into a club as a guest. So way more difficult to become a DJ. I was pretty sure. So what I was trying to do was very difficult. Also, the, most of the Turkish DJs, they are from Turkey. They oh, have yeah, a way different a... background than um, the ones here. Yeah, who we have? We have Sis from Germany and um, yeah, Naitos oh, and some others. Yeah, I don't remember their names right now. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> well, considering how many people uh, of Turkish descent there are in Germany, it's not one point seven million. Yeah, yeah, it's not. So I, many. I guess uh, because most of them are more into uh, hip hop music or other type of music. Even the, the the place I grew up, I was the only one who was open to um, different types of music, also to techno house and hip hop. Other people were just listening to hip hop and were making fun of out of me because I was into techno as well. So what was it about techno that you liked? Like, I don't know, did you really like dancing? Did you like the... So yeah, how, how I got in touch with techno? I was around 10 or 11, maybe 13. My older brother was uh, into techno music. And at that time, techno was pretty new. And we had, we had some radio shows, which was on the weekend. And he was out at the weekends and he, uh, he asked me to record for him the techno shows. Yeah. So it was Appia Maximal and what was also shame? Ha, uh, Club Night, I guess. And I was recording for him the shows and this was my first contact. So I have to stay in front of the radio with a, with, a, with a tape deck and record all the shit for him. And I was also listening to this on my, on my Walkman. And this was my first contact with music and I really liked it back then. It was cheesier than what is right now popular. But... I think everyone's beginning or the first touch of some music is the cheesy stuff. And then you dig deep and find other stuff. But when I started DJing, I was playing um, hip hop and R&B. But later I changed to electronic stuff. And so how I got into Fünftigrad, my friend Amir was resident DJ there. And uh, back then he had to play all night, which was something very normal for a DJ back then. Nowadays, if you play all night, is something very special, but it used to, used to be the normal thing. And he was playing uh, Wednesdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and it was too much for him, so he needed somebody to help him. So I started warming up. He was playing house and R&B stuff. So I, I took away from the R&B part. So I was doing the first year just R&B warm-ups. And the second year, I slowly was allowed to play some house. And it took me maybe like three years 
to be allowed to play house in that place. So you'd already been collecting house records? Yeah. The first house record that blew me away was uh, Armand van Helden, Funk Phenomena. A friend of mine played this, and we were on the dance floor and asking ourselves, man, what, what he's... What he's saying, you know, what 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 is what is this vocal? The voice sounds familiar to us, but we didn't know which language it was and what he was saying. And we were making some stuff up in our mind what he's probably saying, but we was all wrong. The next day, I found found out it was Amma van Helden, Funk Phenomena, and the voice was sampled from Redman, from How High Part Two, I guess. This was maybe '96, and then I had the idea one day to make a record like this where people is just guessing what what he or she is saying yeah so it took me maybe 14 years then I made no worries then I had the same effect on them. people were asking themselves what or he she is saying so what is the voice in no worries saying so the first word is just a half of a word it's she says Aquarius but you only hear Aquarius and the rest is Baby, you dig in where I come from. <laughs> but it's fastened up and sounds way different. So so where did you get the sample from? The sample, I have it from um, First Choice, Let No Man Put Us Under. And this song was the most sampled house song ever. Yeah. But I didn't know. And I I've, I've took a part that nobody has sampled before. And that makes the record special. So did any house nerds figure out where the sample was from. Yeah, yeah. All the, all the house nerds, they, they, they know where it was from. But I thought I'm very smart. You know, I just found the sample. I'm so cool. But it was the most sampled track. Yeah. What many people do is when they get into some music, they, um, they check the back catalog and listen to all the stuff that was before. This is something I never did. You know, I was doing minimal and all the stuff. But I didn't spend much time listening to other people's music was edited before because um, I can keep stuff very good in my mind. When I have something in my mind, I will copy it, you know, or will do something that sounds very similar to this one. So I didn't spend much time for looking to all the records. But after the release, I noticed this is the most sampled house track ever. <laughs> but I found a part which nobody sampled before and nobody had the idea to sample it. But I guess if I would know before it was the most sampled, I would never try to sample it because I would think there is no part that was not sampled. So that's a good thing, I guess, to not to spend too much time with, with the back catalog, to look into the future, not into the back. Yeah. So were you able to do like scratching and this kind of thing when you were DJing at 50 grad? Even when I was playing hip hop, I was not scratching because I don't like to annoy people or do something that they probably don't, will not like. And I was not mixing um, turntablism style with club style mixing. So just smooth fades. I make. Uh, I always try to make smooth uh, transitions and um, always trying that people will not really notice there's a transition going on. That's always my goal. But if you scratch, people will know there's a cut coming. I did it sometimes. Sometimes you can. There is a time to make a hard cut, but uh, like ninety percent of the set, it's very smooth. Well, it's an interesting thing because it's like a, it's like a way of DJing without ego. The DJ's role is kind of like taking a step back and letting the music do its thing in a way, where a lot of other people who are like doing chops and all this crazy stuff are really making their presence. Yeah, I know known. what you mean. 
There's some music, right? Somebody sits in the studio and makes a record, you know, makes a track, and the track's already ready, it's, it's finished, you know? And there's a part to mix in and there's a part to mix out. At the point when you start manipulating too hard, you kind of kill the arts you did. And when I mix, I try to be, um, I try to be visible for the people, yeah. Try to give them a good time, try to be sim sympathetic, but keep the music just in a constant flow. No hard cuts, just, just like putting somebody into a hypnosis or into a kind of trance. And if you if you push too much knobs and all the stuff and and do hard cuts, you might wake people up from their hypnosis. That's not the philosophy. I mean, it. <laughs> Butch's philosophy. Yeah, sympathy is for me very interesting. When you talk about sympathy, is um, what is sympathy by, by DJing? So if sometimes you see somebody falling to the ground and hurt himself, and you feel automatically pain at your leg, for example. You know what, what I mean? And this is sympathy, you know? And if you are on the dance floor and looking straight to the DJ and you see he's enjoying himself and he's having fun and he's laughing, then you will adapt, you know? You will also have fun. But if you're looking at somebody's face who's pretty tired and not having fun and not feeling what he's doing, if he, even if he's playing great music, you'll be kind of bored. Yeah, and I always try to enjoy what I do. At the point when I'm not enjoying my music, people will not do either. So how do you get yourself in the mood if you're not... Drugs. No, I can't do... So, uh, yeah, I heard many times like, oh, yeah, all your track titles is all about drugs and you, you, you are a drug addict or whatever. So I'm a big fan of drugs, but drugs at the same time is a very bad thing, you know. Friends of mine died from heroin or whatever. Also, it's always depends on the person with the drug thing, you know. There are some people, they can be high every day and they will nothing. And some people, they just take one pop of acid and they go to the hospital and they have some mental issues afterwards. A friend of mine just took one acid and for two years he had to sleep in his father's bed. For example, I can do acid once a week. I'm not doing it, but really depends on the person. It depends what on the, the person, yeah. Or some people um, only can enjoy electronic music when they're on pills, and some people can enjoy it without. So um, don't want to make uh, advertisement for drugs or whatever. But I have to be honest, the music I do, it's a kind of soundtrack for your trip. Well, trippiness is something that's important to you, right? Like uh... Yeah. No matter what type of track I do, even if, if it sounds like a loop for four minutes, there is always something tripping in the background. Well, maybe just the loops, that, a loop itself is trippy in a way. Yeah. Like this hypnosis. That, that's right. Basic channel or something. Yeah, you got me right now with basic channel. I read a review on, on Resident Advisor about the basic channel thing, the loop one. Um, <laughs> he wrote something like about so good and it's a very small loop, but it changes slowly during the eight minutes. But it's not changing at all. It's just your mind tricking you. It's your mind tricking you. And I wanted to put this on my mixtape and I had the loop. And if you take just a loop and re-loop it for eight minutes and put it over the original track and do a um, 
I know the German word. German word is uh, Phasenverschiebung, just changing the phase. Then um, the whole track disappears. At some point where some changes, it comes back. But the whole track disappeared. So he just took the loop and looped it for eight minutes. And the guy who listened to the mix track and made a review, his brain got tricked. And he was saying there are some really smooth changes. And <laughs> I was like, okay, he was sitting somewhere with the headphones and listening in the office and with the background noise and all the stuff. And he had the imagination there are some changes, but there were, there's no changes at all. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Yeah. I wanted to write him. I was like, okay, now that. <laughs> you should have done it, man. Yeah, it's just fantasy. Don't, 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 don't wake people up if they're dreaming. You know. <laughs> yeah. What's well, like this? You know, Maurizio M Five. Uh, it's, it's another basic channel related thing, but like, uh, it's just also one of these tracks where you're listening to it and you're questioning. These tracks that make you question, like, uh, is something happening or is it not? Like somehow that there's enough in this like small groove to it's, it's make you question the music itself. It's pretty interesting. It's always your brain that says to you there's something happening, but most of the time there's nothing happening. And if you can make a loop like this, that's great. But for me, I have a loop, there's no changes at all, for example. But in the background, there's some additional sounds and noises which does the changes. This is how I work. Well, this is the th interesting thing about you is that you do know how to make these groovy, loopy tracks, but most of the time there'll be some breakdown or crazy noise Yeah, somewhere in the middle. And I don't think anyone, I think you're the only producer really doing this yeah, in I such can. an extreme way. So the thing is, I could do just a eight minute loop without changes, for example. Let's talk about dope. This is just one loop, you know. At the break, people go crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I, when I first played it, I was like, okay, people go crazy. I was, okay, I don't know. I didn't know what happened. But afterwards, seeing other people playing it, and there was a good um, vibe in the club and hands up. So I could have left all, all the changes out, and the P DJ could do his own break and all the stuff, but I decided to make it by myself. What I did is I took very slowly the bass out, and keep a little bit of kick inside so people were still dancing, not being stopped from the, from dancing. And the bass comes slowly back in, and before the main bass comes back again, I take it out and put uh, the vocals a bit louder, because there's also vocals. And when the bass kicks in, the vocals on full volume, and then take it out again. The thing is, if you listen to into a, in a, inside of a club and somebody's playing it, if it can give you a good time. But afterwards, if you just take a note of the of the track ID and you check later on YouTube, it will be really annoying. <laughs> I had um, with no worries or rawhide. These tracks uh, have been bought to track of the year in some magazines, all the stuff. And then people were checking on YouTube, and I've checked the uh, comments. They were like, "How can this shit be track of the year? It says all the time the same, you know." So it, it is club music, um, it's, it's made for the clubs. I didn't make it for, for home enjoyment in, the, uh, in front of your five euro speakers. And yeah, you have to be in a club, you have to be in, in, into the vibe and not in front of your laptop. This is not really made for it. Yeah, it's club music. Yeah, so um, what, what I've seen in the last years is 
many people are producing now that, that you can enjoy the music also in front of a laptop or when you have work. But if you play this type of music in, in a club, it will never give you give you a um, a huge moment or something. You know, this is for home listening, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Why do you love these tracks with big breakdowns? Like if you, if there are two, <laughs> there are two sides to you. Obviously, you're making yeah. music with Ricardo Villalobos. Yeah, and you're into this basic channel. Yeah, what, I can tell you yeah, because I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, sometimes Amir comes into the studio and like let's say this. Oh man, that's a great loop what you just did. I'm like yeah okay, and then he goes away, and then a few days later he comes back in the studio and says, "Man, what you did? Why you have put this?" big build-up and this break. Like, there is no fucking need for it. It's, it's, it's a good loop. Just leave it. Why do you have to do this? I'm like, I know. I would not even play it if somebody else would make it. But I made it because I'm afraid that some other DJ, you know, if, I don't, if I'm not doing this, the break, let's give an example, Carola, for example. Yeah. He would just take this track because there is no break. He would, he would make his own break by a low cutting, putting effects and some other track mixing inside to it and then taking it out. So I'm like, okay, now I want to <laughs> to make it, that is my track. I want to make the track by uh, the break by myself, you know? That's why I'm doing always these big, big breaks. But, but to be honest, there is always no need for it, for, for the big breaks. And I've noticed if I leave out the big breaks, the um, tracks get played by more people. <laughs> so there's really no need. I don't know what happened to me that I'm always doing these big breaks, but there's, to be honest, there's no need. Maybe you're just a fun guy. Maybe yeah. you're not being too serious about it. Yeah, also maybe, yeah. But another thing is I'm old-fashioned, you know. The tracks I do, it's perfect made for, for playing from vinyl because there's an intro and an outro to mix perfect in. And I still think there is no effects in the club, yeah? So if you play on vinyl and play this track, so you cannot really do something about it. And if there's a break, and there is a break. But nowadays people play uh, CDJ and Shrakta and all this stuff, and they have effects, and they can do do it by themselves. So there's no really need for it. But why should I change myself? For example, I was doing some tracks with Johnny D, and... I was doing some kind of break stuff, and he was like, "Yeah, but the DJ can't do this by himself. Why, why, why are you doing this?" I was like, "No, I want to do it. <laughs> I don't trust these people. Every time I hear somebody is doing a break, it's not in the right time. Like just, they, they mess it up. I don't want them to mess my tracks up. Like, okay, but when I was doing uh, tracks with them together, I reduced the break thing. Yeah, but also there's another point." What I see sometimes, there's already a huge break. The, the DJs add on top their effects <laughs> to make it bigger. I'm like, oh, okay, man, there's no need. Yeah, you can't win. Yeah, I, I can't win, yeah. <laughs> so what takes longer, making the making these loops or the break? So how does it work when you're making it? A- so the idea of a, when it's house-based, then it's a matter of samples I use. So uh, finding the right sample can take a few days or it just pops into my mind. Then it can take a few hours. But to make the perfect break takes for me like two weeks or four weeks 
because I'm playing it and from all my experience, cop experience, I know how long it should be and um, how it should be done. You know, you need club experience. Sometimes people say, oh yeah, you are just a producer, you don't, um, you're not a DJ. But to make a break like this and a track like this, which is which sounds probably uh, annoying on YouTube or on decks or whatever, and has such a big impact on the dance floor, you need DJ experience, you know? That's the thing, because you are making big tunes, or at least yeah. most of what I've heard. Has it always been like this? Have you always wanted your tracks to be... You know, these tracks are going to be the yeah. memorable parts of a night for yeah. most people. So, like, um, how did this happen? In the beginning, you know, I, the first music I was doing was hip hop beats, but I gave up very fast because um, there was too much inside. So a rapper couldn't rap on it because it was kind of like hip hop. So it was happening too much. Then I moved to uh, house and techno. And the stuff I was doing, there was no breaks at all. It was just some um, weirdness and it was very different, kind of minimalistic. And back then, I never spent much time listening to other people's music. I was into minimal music, but I never heard about um, Richie Horton. And how I got into minimal music, I was driving with a girl in the car and she was playing some minimal music. I was like, oh man, I want to do the same. And yeah, I had... Um, two uh, minimal records, big records on uh, trapeze out. Even then I never heard about uh, Richie Horton, who was at that time the king of minimal. And I saw trapeze is owned, after a while somebody told me about Richie Horton, and said, oh no, he owns <laughs> trapeze, but he wasn't. And this is because I never spent time of listening to the back catalog. And my tracks was very um, specific and, and different to other people's music. And not no new huge breaks or just different. Yeah, if you do music like this, it can consider to be um, arts or something new, but it will not sell anything. And I was doing this type of music under my real name, so because this was my real stuff that I was doing. And one day um, I made something similar like this and somebody told me hey you should release something on great stuff say it's a good label so I sent them some music and Rainer Rainer Weichwald is the end of the label told me ah that's that's some cool stuff you just had a release on trapeze and well you can do something but um, it's kind of boring you know it's um, I don't know where to play this type of music so, like, he was asking me are you playing this type of music I said no, I would play this type of music, but I don't know where you can play this type of music because it's very low. But there was a place to play this type of music. It was, uh, for example, um, Robert Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. But at that time, I never heard of Robert Johnson. I was playing some other places around, but shady places, shitty places, you know. <laughs> but I never heard of this place. So Rainer told me to um, to use the cutoff of the, of my MOOC to make it more noisy and to make it more pushy. I was like, okay, let's do this. And after listening to him, I had my first hit, like something like a hit. And I was like, wow, <laughs> so easy. Yeah, this stuff, yeah, people really like this stuff. Yeah, if you if you uh, don't need to use your brain much, then... <laughs> 
So, uh, man, if you had known about Robert Johnson, you could have been a totally different producer. I think if I would, at that time, took some time and listened to all what's going on, it was minimal. Yeah. I would become, I guess, a different person. Yeah. And would never have signed to uh, great stuff. And when I signed to great stuff, the guys from Top 8 told me, hey, Bülent, you have a very good name right now, and we get very good reviews from Debug and all the magazines. You should not put your real name on this stuff, what you're doing right now. I'm like, why? They said, yeah, because it's very different and it's kind of shady what, what you were just starting right now with, with great stuff. And I was like, okay, um, I changed my name. I will have a new name for, for great stuff. I said, yeah, okay, because if you keep your uh, real name, we will not re release any music of you if you go to great stuff and release something there. I was like, okay, I'm fine with this. Then um, at the same night, I was watching um, Pulp Fiction, and Bruce Willis is driving a cab. You know, he, he's he's a guest in the cab, and the driver's name is Esmeralda Villalobos. Yeah, and he says, "Oh, you have a really nice name." She says, "Thank you." And then she asks him, "What's your name?" And he says, "Butch." And then she asks, "What your name means?" And Bruce Willis says, "I'm American, baby. Our names mean shit." I go, "Okay." It means shit. Let's do this. I call myself Butch from now on for great stuff. I do two records and let's see what will happen. And that's what I did. And then I started doing like kind of harder techno stuff. And from then on, I got successful. Then the Drop Hits guy said, uh, let's do the new records from you under the name of Butch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was kind of strange to me, but I did. Yeah. So, what year was this great stuff? What year was that? I guess 2007. Uh-huh. And was that your big, like... This was my starting, you know? And yeah. before then, like, from 2004, uh, 2004, I started sending stuff to labels. I remember labels telling me, please, never, ever send us music again. Yeah. Never again. <laughs> I was like, okay... And one of them was um, Alex Litch from Connoisseur Records. Uh -huh. At that time, he had uh, he had a big hype on his label. He's, he wrote me a long email, like explaining why I shouldn't never ever again send him music. I I read it, and I was like, okay, um, he has a point, you know. Well, they were saying the sound doesn't fit. He wasn't calling no, you a No, he was producer, just saying, saying, I'm shit, that's it. <laughs> yeah. He was just, saying that you're just shit. Just in very oh. nice words, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, work harder, boy. So I worked harder. And then I've seen uh, Alex Flitch like half a year later on, on a festival. And I came just in when he was playing a remix I did for SLG. And then he finished the set and came to me he's like, dude, you made a huge step in the half last half year. The record I just played from you, it's amazing. I'm dreaming of it. You know, I was dreaming of it. And one more year later, he told me I'm his favorite producer from this area around Frankfurt. So um, if you get bad feedback, you know, sometimes it helps you. And in my case, it helped me. Sometimes people send me music and I'm like, hey, dude, this is not good or you should change this and that. And people get annoyed or they should just take their time and work on it. Which label was also big, Vacant was at that time very big. Yeah. 
<laughs> he wrote me also don't send me music ever again <laughs> and right now I'm pretty cool with him you know he works at the Watergate office and he was doing um, all the work for my Watergate mix and he said the mix I did for Watergate this is his all time favorite mix yeah but if you get a punch in the face you know it's uh, that's no reason to cry and go home there should be a reason to work hard on you Because um, when the punch comes from somebody who knows what he's talking about, it means something. Yeah. That's uh, how I see it. They've taken the time to, yeah, at least they've yeah, engaged back, with it. Back then, people, so if you were sending music, this, this meant for them, so you know how to produce and you have some machines to make music. Nowadays, everyone can send you music, you know. When I started my label, other side asked for some music, I got demos, like 1,000 demos. And there was not even one which was, okay, I'm going to release this or I'm going to play this. Yeah. Back then, if you're having like 20 demos, one of them was at least playable. Mm. Now everyone can produce and DJ. This is a bit more, way more difficult to find proper music. What do you think is going to happen with that? Do you think it makes, uh, does it make things more difficult if you're a genuine talent? If you're a young producer now. I say if you're really good in something, you know, you're, you will find your way. But if you're shit, you will never make it. Or if you're, when you have some lots of money, you will make it. No worries how bad you are. So nowadays, even back then, it was the same. I had people who were saying before everything was better. <laughs> well, it wasn't better. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's, there's always a change in everything. Well, it's like what you said. You still can't get gigs at your local club because the promoters are booking all their friends. It's the same yeah. right now. So if you want to get booked somewhere and you send some mixes, club owners, promoters will be like, dude, you made this on your computer at home. I don't believe that you're a proper DJ. Or I don't have fucking time to listen to your mix. I'm very busy. I get one of the mixes a day. I would say even today is more difficult to get some bookings as a nobody back then. So um, pff, producing is easier right now, but um, to give the music to the right label, at the, it's more difficult. Mm. So there's always a balance. People saying before was everything better, it's always stupid. Everything has balance. So how's the scene in Mainz now? What's happening So there? scene in Mainz, yeah. Do you feel connected to the yeah, other think, DJs there? Yeah, you know? um, so in Mainz we have Mainz yeah. we have uh, Thomas P. Heckmann who is uh, actually a techno legend. techno legend and then we have Ian Pooley yeah he's also from Mainz and the other one is Tonka DJ Tonka he is a uh, kind of commercial house DJ who was big back then we have these three guys myself and another young guy he does way different music Teenage Mutant is his name, but he does very different music, so uh, I'm not involved what he's doing. So um, we don't really have a scene in Mainz, but we have some good people coming from Mainz, also new people. Hard work, soft drink. Yeah. Felix and Cedric are from Mainz, my boys. Big up yourself, motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, this Frankfurt thing is pretty cool. I'm not yeah. sure how much you've heard, but there's a cool group of young Germans. Yeah, I think for this type of music you have to be uh, very involved into... Yeah, I appreciate it. Some people say you have to be educated in music to 
I, when something somebody comes up with you have to be educated in music, I'm like, oh fuck, man, this is uh, no school. This is music. You don't have to be educated. You just be, just have to be open-minded. Yeah. Sometimes I go to places and the promoters say, oh, we have very good crowd, educated crowds. They know about music. It's like, what does that even mean? Yeah. yeah. Spent all the time on resident advisor checking what's hot, what's not, and. I don't know. This is listening to other people's mixes. This is you don't need to know anything. You just have to be open-minded. Go to a club and just open your mind and have a good time. That's yeah. That's it, isn't it? Like people who are open to new experiences with music. Yeah. While you were a young music fan, you had another <laughs> life. What happened? It's not like this that I that most of the DJs are born with a silver spoon in their mouth. You know. Uh, the way I grew up and everything around me was um, kind of different. Uh, when I was five, my father died and was a regular worker in the fabric. And my father was a guest worker. In Germany, we call it guest worker. Uh, if you came to work to Germany, you had a stamp in your passport that says guest worker. And he was working at Opel, which is uh, Vauxhall. You uh, British people call it Vauxhall. And they had a special place where only Turkish people was working, like maybe 10,000 or something. And he was working in the, how you call it, painting the cars? Yeah. yeah. So they were very cheap and they're not giving people gas masks. And they co couldn't talk proper German and they was not at, um, they had no trade union, the Turkish workers. And so they, they was not giving gas masks. So he died from uh, brain cancer because there was no gas masks. Uh, at this time I was five and he left a big debt to my mom. Uh, my mom couldn't talk German because they were expecting to go back to Turkey uh, after a few years of work. So I had I have uh, two olders, my sister and my brother. So my mom had to pay the debts to my father and um, also make a proper living for us. So we moved from outside from the small city to Mainz and my mom was having two jobs two jobs on minimum wage, so if you can talk German and then you will have a proper work, you know. And she was working all the time. And I was alone at home with my sister. My brother was hanging out at some bad guys. Uh, we were living in a bad neighborhood also. Uh, yeah. I was a little kid and my sister taught me reading and writing. So I went to school and I was pretty good in the first months. I was like the best because I was able to read and write before everything started. But everything changed very quick. I didn't connect to other uh, students. I was all alone all the time. And so even like eating lunch alone? Or eating lunch alone. Another point is I was the only Turk in my class and German kids was not really connecting to Turks. So it was maybe told from their parents not to hang out with, I don't know, it was strange back then as a foreigner. You had, I didn't have any friends. so in the beginning, but I was very good in school. So um, one year later, they removed me from second grade to first grade because I was sleeping all the time. I was dreaming. I was not taking care of of the education I was getting. Yeah, I missed everything. And at third grade, the same happened again. Yeah, I was very, very bad in school. Very, very bad. And I had some teachers believing in me and they keep pushing me. So I. I made it to fifth grade to a proper high school. And I had an after school program, after school program. My mom was working all the time. 
So I was going to school and after school to after school program as a problem child because I wasn't a regular child and I was fighting all, all the time other people, beating up other kids, being very bad in school. It was the beginning of a career, very bad career for me. And when after school and when after the after school program, I had a little, little gang and I was the leader of the gang. I was... <laughs> Yeah, I was pretty bad boy. So it's something I'm not proud of, but it's part of my history. So anyway, when I was at seventh grade, I was very bad, still very bad in school. And the, the guys from the after school program was like, this guy will never make it. He will end up in jail or whatever. So uh, they had the idea to make some psychological tests on me, tests on me to see what's wrong. So they were pretty sure I'm retarded. <laughs> like Forrest Gump, but not walking that fast and not so nice. <laughs> so, uh, and I was pretty sure about myself that I'm dumb. Uh, I made these tests and afterwards it was shown that I'm under-challenged. So uh, I was good, but I was thinking I'm bad and the stuff I've learned in school was too easy for me. So right after this test, you know, um, there was a change in my life. I knew I'm no, not retarded, I'm not, a I'm not a stupid person, I'm just a bit different. From day to another, I became the best of my school class. You know, before I was the worst, yeah. But I didn't change my behavior as a person, I was still a bad guy, but at the same time very good. Our principal from our school was even showing off with me at some um, seminars or whatever, how good I am in math and all the stuff. And I grew up like this, and at 10th grade, I was bored from school again because I spent too much time in school. I had a feeling like I will f never will make, make a normal living, you know? And during this time, I got <laughs> arrested many times, and I was in court also a lot. Uh, but I was, when I was in court, I was good in talking to the judge, so I always was able to free myself. But one day, <laughs> I fucked it up too hard, you know. I came to a judge and he was like, okay, boy, I'm not like the other judges. You're going to locked up for the next two years. So what kind of things were you doing? Stealing? I've graffiti? Many crimes, because when I got convicted for a crime, I changed my business to another. So I can't say it was the first time. And this judge said, you cannot come every time and say it was the first time I did this and make a journey through, through all crimes. And I was like, I thought it's a joke, but um, I was away for a long time and I had, I had time to think about where I'm going to, where I'm going to end up and, you know, all my, my other friends, you know, people I grew up with, some of them are members of Hells Angels right now, or some others dead. And if I look at my life back, then I have the perfect story to become a um, gangster rapper, you know? But I'm not. After being locked up for a while, I'm, I changed my mind. And maybe 1% of the people who got locked up, they get re-socialized. And I got re-socialized. So when I got released, I started with an apprenticeship as a uh, graphic designer. 
because I was always good in arts and um, everything that has to do with uh, creativity. And that's also the reason why um, teachers believed in me and keep me pushing because they've seen my arts that I'm doing, drawing and, and music. That's why they pushed me. Otherwise, I don't think they would have pushed me. So, I started this thing. I became a uh, graphic designer. I finished 2004 and then I started working as a graphic designer. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, um, there is something that called karma or whatever. <laughs> Things I did before, before 2001 or whatever, came back at me <laughs> and I got locked up again. In adult jail. Yeah. No, I was always in adult jail, but I was... Oh, no, I didn't want to say the, use the word jail, but... <laughs> yeah, I was the youngest. I was the youngest in adult jail because of uh, my crime history. The, the the judge was like, the things you did and um, how you did, it's not the way some kid would did, you know. So um, they punished me like an adult because of the intelligence of the crime and all this... So I was in, crime, uh, in prison again for another seven months. But I didn't do anything after I got released like the la after the last time. So I was free afterwards. And I started working again. But the, the firm I was working, they got bankrupt. And I was living from kind of welfare. Living on Social Security, I had a lot of time. Yeah. Since I was no criminal anymore, I had my love to music. So what I did is, dude, you have a lot of time, so let's make music. I spent all the time making music. And slowly but surely, everything started. I started producing and 2006 or seven, I had my first release. And afterwards, everything go like bang, 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 bang. So I guess if I would have chatted, a regular living, you know, with a regular family and um, they would have pushed me from the beginning when I was a kid, had a proper um, school education or whatever. I would never have gone this way. Maybe I started being a musician with 18 or something. Yeah. But right now I'm on the, I'm on the right way and I have a lot of experience. So I'm pretty happy that, I'm, that I made it. And the thing is, if I make, if I can make it, everyone can make it. It's funny because to learn to be a DJ is definitely like a thing that you need money for. People don't really discuss that so much. How it is this, it's kind of like a privileged thing. Not every family can afford to buy. Is the example. When I wanted to be a DJ, I was 16 years old. A Technics 1210 around that time cost 1,100 Deutschmarks. My mom was making around 1,200 Deutschmarks to um, to make a living for a whole family, you know? So I could have never asked my mom to buy two of these plus a mixer and records. So, and speakers. And speakers, you know? So I never asked for this. Even my, my mom, my mom was always pushing me. And even if we were poor, she was like, I never had the feeling that we were poor. She always wanted to send me to... Um, music school since I was a kid but I always said no, said no because I knew she had to work more for this and I didn't want to do do this you know 
And right now she's complaining. She's saying, oh, I always said I want to send you to music school, but you didn't did. But I, I'm saying, look, mom, look where I am. She's like, this isn't music. <laughs> yeah, this is just music. noises. <laughs> yeah, my mom still thinks that I'm do, I do all the scratching stuff still because she knew me when, when I was starting at home, you know, with scratching all that. It was annoying for her. And she, she still thinks I'm scratching in front of people, but I'm not. <laughs> Has she been to one of your gigs? No. That's should bring her to Love Family Park next time. Maybe, maybe should I bring her to Love Family Park or something, yeah? <laughs> so see how we were talking before about this uh, this groove thing. You know how to make these like minimal grooves. Oh, yeah. You obviously know the difference between uh, this big room festival stuff yeah. and the stuff that like Villobos is making. And it seems like you can make both. Yeah. I think you know how to make like a nerdy groove for like Robert Johnson what's the what do you like more about making the big room party stuff so there's a one thing that everybody loves and it's called success so let's say I may make a nerdy groove under my real name and it gets released on a proper label the critics will say oh oh, that's not butch or that's not Good. This is something I noticed, you know, because they categorize you, you know. If you're a butch, then you do this big room stuff, yeah. Even if it's proper, they, they push a little on you sometimes. And when I do the other stuff, then they're saying you're doing always the same. <laughs> so, um, yeah. It's a lose-lose situation. <laughs> so what I do is I do a P with some more experimental, like minimal stuff, and then do another one. Which is uh, which, which has the big breaks, and one of them gets some notes, and the other one not, just gets loose. When you're hanging out with Ricardo Villalobos, yeah, I read in this interview, he encouraged you to make more trippy music. Did I read that correctly? Yeah. So, um, what do you think? Since, since the beginning, you know, if I make a big room track, there's a B side with the opposite of it, and Villalobos was always playing the, the other side of the record. So he knew the other side of me. And when I got introduced to him, he was saying like, wow, man, dude, I was looking for you a long time and you do some awesome music. I like both sides, but the trippy side, you're very good in. You should more do of this and come to my studio, let's, do, let's make something together. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I will come over and then we make some music. Then I stood away. And then every time I saw him, he was like, he was asking me to come over. And I was like, hey man, this is Ricardo Villalobos. He's, I thought he's just saying this, you know, just to be nice. But he was honest with this. He really wanted to make music with me, but I couldn't believe him. So after one year, he asked me like, let's come something. And I was like, okay, and then I, I took all my balls together and then I, was, I went to the studio and then we make some, made something trippy. Yeah, and, and he's right. Uh, I still think I can do better trippy music and reduce music better than um, the, the rising stuff I do. But the people think of Butch, they think of good times and hands up. No worries. Yeah, like hands up. No matter what I try right now, it's... When I do something trippy or as butch, people are like, oh man, I'm disappointed. 
So boring. Yeah, so boring. That's no house. That's not. There's no break. What is this? And at the other side, the 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 the, the right people were like, "Oh, this is a butch record. I don't need to buy it because it's hands up. I'm not playing this type of music." <laughs> But they if they go out and listen to Lila Lobos, and like, "Hey, man, what dude? What is this? It's butch." Oh, really? Uh, oh, okay, cool. Then after a while, I get an email. Dude, <laughs> I heard a track of you with Lobos playing. Can you please send it to me? I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't know that you're playing my stuff. Oh, yeah, not not really, but <laughs> this one is cool. Please send it over. No. <laughs> no, I always send music. It's pretty interesting, though. Like, who else is in this position? I think you're the only one that's making big room stuff but can so clearly make this stuff that nerds will also like. Like, or maybe some producers used to do it a long time ago. Yeah, I guess maybe that I'm somewhere right in the middle, you know, and um, I'm trying to um, I'll give an example. If you if you play dope, so the first two minutes is just a groove, yeah. For for most of the people, DJs is like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm going to play this or not. They're going to play it after hearing it. Someone else is playing it. Like, oh man, this is huge. But the first two minutes, they're playing it in a club. There's nothing happening. And they were like, oh, okay, uh, uh, two minutes, please go fast away. And then it starts. Maybe it's a thing that I'm right somewhere in between that makes it accessible to many people. I know. Also, I do very different types of music. Once I remember, I was in an airplane with uh, Robert Dietz. And um, I was dissing some other guy. I was saying, that guy is in j jumping at every train which is popular right now. You know, he has no, he stands for, what, what does he stand for? He stands for nothing. He jumps on every train which is hot at the moment. If it's techno right now, he will do techno. And I don't like that guy. And he was saying, what you stand for? And I was like, I took a second and I was thinking. Then I took my wallet and I took a $50 bill, it was in the US. I showed him the $50 bill, I said, the other guy stands for this. Then I put the money back and then I looked for some coins. I showed him the coins and I said, I stand for this. And he said, for small money? I said, no, what is this? I said, coins. I said, no, it's change. I stand for a change. I mean, I constantly change. I do always different stuff, you know? And if I change, I'm changed before it's popular, you know? If I do a house record, I do it at the time when everybody's jumping on the techno train, yeah? When I release Dope, at that time, everybody from Deep House to whatever is was playing techno, no, which made no sense for me at all, you know? Some guy who was playing commercial Deep House is changing techno because it's popular right now. I was like, okay, fuck this shit, man. I'm just make a house release or I had a um, acid release on Tuskegee and then I read some comment or some review oh Butch is now doing uh, acid because acid is popular right now but there's a website it's called Discogs if you go there then you will see I do every year a acid record since six years seven years ten years you know I'm always changing I'm always doing something new It's very easy to um, make the same shit for years, you know? And also to make the same for years, it's that what people expect from you. 
if you're successful with one sound, you know, that's the thing what people expect from you to keep repeating the same shit over years. When I changed from, um, I got popular with techno, then I changed to house. All the people I um, made follow me and buy my records, they were so disappointed. They were like, fuck you, man, what is this? This is, uh, this is shit. And all the house guys were like, yo, man, you play, you're doing techno. I'm not going to buy a record. Oh, I'm going to buy it. It's so good. I have to. <laughs> so um, I'm always in a fight, you know, between everything. But um, I leave the house every day around eight. Then I do some sports sometimes, and then I spend the whole day till 7.30 in the studio every day, like regular work. I don't do anything else. If I'm not traveling, or it's a Sunday, or even sometimes, sometimes Sundays, I'm in the studio. So imagine, I, I cannot imagine, imagine to do the same music for 10 years. There has to be a constant change. For example, right now I'm doing the down the rabbit hole thing, and I have different guests. For the, f uh, the first day I had Sam Proper, I did a house warm-up, you know, and the other day I was alone. I did something like minimal. Today I have um, Scream. So you're going to play dubstep? Yeah, I'm going to play dubstep. No, I'm not playing dubstep, but I guess he's not playing dubstep as well. I hope so. <laughs> so I'm going to play something different, you know. Uh, this is also very, very difficult to have different stuff to collect. I'm, if I'm going to buy music, I check minimal, I check techno, I check house, you know. And if I would just do house, I would just check house. But I check all genres. And when I mix all the stuff, I mix. I try to always mix in a proper way. Not going from left to right, up, down, slow, fast. Well, this is the crazy thing. Like, this is what some DJs can do and some can't. Yeah. Some people just find a way to connect lots of different music. Yeah, I'll give you an example. In a way that still flows. For example, Detron is a motherfucker. He, he's so good, you know. He goes from techno to house, whatever. Three, four decks, I don't know, maybe 50 decks he uses. And you, he makes it so smooth and so many types into uh, genres into each other. You don't feel it. You just enjoy yourself and it's very good. He's not waking you up. It's, unless other DJs, they, um, they go up, down, left, right, all this genre, and you feel every transition. This is something I, I hate. <laughs> so how do you learn to not do that? You think some people just can yeah. hear things that others can't? Like some people can find a way to connect this Deep House record to this techno record. Yeah. Or you so um, I'm thinking of like, if I would be on the dance floor, yeah, um, what has to be done to, to make me happy? And that's what I'm, what I'm trying to do. If you think of yourself on the dance floor, it's way different, you know? But uh, if you think of some kid who's 18 years old who pops some pills, how can I please him? That's very easy. You play just some tracks. He will like everything. But how can please yourself? That's very difficult. To please yourself and please the people at the same time in front of you. <laughs> yeah, it's say. pretty difficult. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. This is that's, I'm, and always I'm, I'm under a big pressure. You know, when I go when I go to play, 
then I'm always trying to make uh, make something that people will remember me, you know, from the promoter to people on the dance floor. I want to make them feel the, the, the experience I have. I remember around 2008 when I was starting booking, uh, getting booked like international and everywhere. This was a time where um, people started producing with um, computers and people got famous who are not actually DJs, who are just had some luck with some putting loops together. And I got, I got booked and I was playing like all my life before. And I remember promoters and club owners were telling me, hey man, you are a DJ, you can mix. I'm like, yo dude, you booked me. So like, yeah, but uh, the most of the people we book is like, we book the hot guys from, from the, at the moment, they don't really know how to mix and all this stuff, but, but you know, it's, I was like, okay, that's strange. Uh, that's a compliment. Uh, I don't know. It's you booked a DJ and you were DJ set, and you say, "Wow, you're a DJ." This is strange. <laughs> what What's wrong with other people? Yeah, this is something I learned. But right now, I like to listen a lot to other DJs. I go and listen, and I'm like, "Wow, hey, this is." Uh, I don't hear any DJ experience. I don't hear anything. I hear just perfect uh, management, I hear um, perfect um, advertisement, very produced music, which made you a big DJ. But you are standing there, but you're actually not. And people don't understand because, because they're used to this kind of DJs. I remember a lot of times I'm, I'm playing and then the next super hype DJ comes with his tractor on his hand, with the cables, and shows it to the sound engineer and says, connect this, you know, it's not asking, could you please connect this, connect this and I'm going to play. And the sound engineer is like, that's not my job. And then he's trying to connect this by himself and he doesn't know how to connect his shit, you know. This is something I've seen in the last years. This is something, you know, before, you know, if, if you can't mix, you, are, you, can, you, couldn't, you cannot go to be a DJ. If you don't know what you're doing, you're at the wrong place. But right now with the right software and right stuff, you can do it. All the stuff that makes our life easier makes our lives as a DJ worse. It's like this. For example, I play right now with USB. I'm not playing vinyl. But uh, <laughs> to play with USB, it's I can teach a, a regular person who's <laughs> able to dance within five, six hours how to mix. Yeah, It's not that difficult anymore. And also another thing I noticed is I'll give you a uh, little example. When I was a kid, there was a famous band. Their name was Milli Vanilli. They had some huge songs. One of them was Ooh Ooh Ooh, Girl You Know It's True, I Love You. <laughs> yeah. First of all, they were looking good. They were doing a good show and they were dancing like crazy. They had uh, many number one hits. They won Grammys. Yeah. At the point when, when people noticed that's not their voices. And they're just doing playback, you know? They took away the Grammy. People started hating them. They asked to have their money back. Yeah. Right now, people going there to see DJs who are actually not DJing at all. Yeah. But they're absolutely cool with it. They're like, here, take my money. <laughs> it's, they're not complaining anymore. Right now, it's everything. Everything is... Very easy if if you uh, if you know the right ways to achieve something to come to some point, 
you can do almost whatever you want. People will not notice what you, that you're faking it. And even, even if they know you're fake, they will like, that's cool, man. Yeah, they don't know what I like anymore. your music. That's cool. I suck your dick, man. So good. Yeah. It's, things have changed. I'm, I'm taking profit out of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not lying. You know, I go to places and play other people's music and I get paid. I remember when I was a kid, we were at school and some friends said, hey man, I've seen yesterday Moby in TV and they said Moby is the most paid DJ in the world. He gets 10,000 Deutschmarks for a whole night. 10,000 Deutschmarks, that's around 5,000 euros right now. So, every fucking DJ from the RA50, Paul, gets at least 5,000 a night right now. Yeah. And that was the most popular DJ in the world back then. I didn't really get the point getting getting paid so much, but before the club owners and promoters were, was making the money, now right there's almost a balance. So we DJs make some money as well. Okay. Well, someone said to me once, like, uh, don't blame the pig, blame the people that feed it. It is like this, you know? So um, I see a lot of times people pointing at EDM people, like DJs, and like they're saying, oh, these are retards, they are stupid or whatever. If they like it, they like it. Yeah. And if you have a closer look at our scene, it's not way different. We use almost the same same way of uh, promoting the stuff and we just have a little bit lower fees than them, but it's almost pretty close to what they do. It operates the same way. Yes, yeah. there's just less people into our There's music. one thing that a musician, musician would know. If you listen to EDM music, they're using all, almost every time the same... Um, chords and then if you look at which is popular right now in electronic music the the chords they use it's all, all almost the same now it's the same pop chords they use in edm or in pop music but they claim to be underground yeah but edm guys they don't claim to be underground <laughs> yeah another thing i've noticed now i've seen which is very pissing me off is something if you look at rappers and at the rap scene they dissing each other, and if if you're not really into it, then you think if they meet some place, they will shoot each other. But if they meet at some pl other place, they hang out and have drinks. They're cool. Now I've seen it's the opposite. You see people spreading love, you know, oh, everyone is cool. I love everybody, but behind closed doors, there's so much hate going on. Like, I'm like, dude, man, this is your friend, and you play back to back. Why? How? Everybody hates each other. It's the complete opposite. In front of people in the magazines, everybody loves each other. And then as soon as the door is closed, I remember scenes like I was uh, giving music to some labels and they were even friends. They were hating each other. Even they was in the same room. I, okay. There's a lot of politics. There's a lot of politics without no reason. People, people doing like, they're just playing music, you know. There's no really idea behind it. And they act like they're doing arts, but it's not arts. If you, if you, as a from the point of view as a musician, an experienced DJ, what they do for me is most of them not arts, but the way they act like artists and something makes makes it look for regular people on the dance floor or following as they're really artists. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing the complete opposite. I act like a complete retard. <laughs> But, yeah.
Yeah. Well, I, I guess at the end of the day, this music is supposed to be for fun. For fun, yeah. yeah. So I give you an easy example. If you go to a club as a DJ, you are behind the DJ deck. You get paid to play music, yeah? Or not, not to play music. First of all, you get paid for your name afterwards, the music, yeah, as a popular DJ. The people in front of you, they've been working the whole week or study. So it's weekend for them. They paid the entrance and they paid for drugs or alcohol, or drinks, whatever. As they want to have a good time. And you as a DJ, you have to find a way to express yourself and give these people a good time. If you can't make it, you better stay at home. So what's it like making music with Ricardo? Is he the genius? When you see so, him in action in his studio, does he seem like yeah, a genius? Yeah, well, little so. First of all, you have to know he's the nicest person on this earth. Yeah. So I prepare some stuff and I go to the studio and then he loads it into his logic and then we start working on it. So, for example, if, if I hear the hi-hat is a bit noisy, I go to the machine and I lower the, the cutoff and some highs. He sees it, what, what I did just right now. And even if it's very nice, he don't like to... People touch his stuff, you know, like, don't... It's, it's us, you know. And then he, you see, like, in his face, he's a bit pissed. And then he keeps it going. Then after a while, he put it, puts it back. And I'm like, okay, dude, it's your studio. You know, you know how it sounds, everything here. After 40 minutes, he puts it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how many tracks have you how many tracks have you made with him? Yeah, I guess we have around 10 tracks. Uh, he gave me also some other tracks of him to um, edit and work on it. But some of the stuff I'm playing, he plays a lot of our stuff. And also people ask me to share some, but I'm not sharing. But I'm not really... Um, want to have all the stuff released, you know. People people saying, oh, if you do something with Villa Lobos, you have to release it. It's good PR. But not everything's about PR. I guess you don't need PR anymore. Yeah, you don't need to release everything you do. Yeah. So if we played it a lot and I think it's time to share it with other people, then we're going to share. But it's, if it's too strange and too weird, I don't think it should be released. It should be in our sets. That's enough, I guess. Fun DJ. Uh, yeah. Track. So if I'm, if I'm going to release it, some, some critics will be say, oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's very strange. I can't really put it in the verse. And some will say, oh, that's shit. I, I don't want to read this, you know. So if I keep it for myself and he, it's like, that's cool. Yeah, you don't need to please other people. Or yeah. I'm pleasing enough people with my music, so there is no really need to please with our stuff. Mm. But there's some stuff coming, so... On his label? Mm, I'm not sure. Maybe on my label, I guess. Cool. Yeah. So we have some tracks. I have to finish, and then uh, next week I'm going to the studio again. Then we will do some more tracks, so maybe I will put something on the other side or somewhere else. It's easy, you know? You have, if you're doing music, you have to, um, there should be no pressure. There should be no release date or whatever. In the beginning, labels were telling me, 
you have three or two release dates a year, please deliver at this time, and then we have a release. I don't really believe in this. I also don't really believe in set times. At my party, we don't have set point, set times. Everybody feels a place when he, when he feels like. So sometimes, you know, you're just standing there and like, oh, okay, that's a perfect time to, for me to get in. But then you look at your watch and then you see, oh, it's a half hour more I have to wait. So I don't like this stuff. Mm. So at my party, you play whenever you feel like, when it's the right time. Cannot set before two, four, six, it's not working. Where?